This is Wisconsin Profits, the top Wisconsin-based business podcast. We'll hear from business leaders, entrepreneurs, and the influential people in the Badger State. Here's your host, Alex Byrne. And welcome back. Today we have Grace Hammeister from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hi, Grace. How are you? Hi. Good to see you. How are you doing today? Honestly, really well. We finally have springtime without snow in Wisconsin here, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. <laughs> That's awesome. I feel that too. Uh, could you just give us a little uh, short background about yourself? Sure. Well, um, I was the first Olympic level rhythmic gymnast in the state here. And um, after that, I was a professional water skier. I worked at SeaWorld in San Diego, Cypress Gardens in Florida. So I grew up as an elite athlete. I earned the right to go to train at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And that's what kind of was my first introduction into the importance of food and, and how it can optimize your body for athletic peak performance. Um, we had nutrition courses there and we actually had chefs that would make us this amazing food. It was so good, but it was designed to help us to repair and to have better athletic function though, too. So um, that now fast forward into what I do now, um, after my athletic career, I moved into the, the world of medicine and I got my degree in psychology, double major in bio, did a year of cancer research and immunology at the University of Minnesota, Minneapolis, and then went to the West Coast to get my degree as a chiropractor, a doctor, and board certified and as a chiropractor, as well as I also practice integrative medicine, functional medicine, and I am a food specialist. So all those things have worlds kind of merged together from my elite athlete to my geeky scientist to the doctor that I am now where I see high profiles, athletes, actors, and entrepreneurs, um, celebrities, and, and everybody in between <laughs> too. Wow. So um, yeah, my, my career started in California. I was out there for 18 years in the San Francisco Bay area for part, most of the time. And then uh, LA and Beverly Hills for the rest of the time. And that now I've returned to my roots here in Wisconsin and I'm yes, in Milwaukee. Wow. That's, that's awesome. So before we like kind of touch on the athletic career, cause I, I'm personally interested in that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what originally gave you the idea for food fixer and could you just give us a little intro there? Sure. Uh, well, actually, it does kind of go back to the days that I was living in San Francisco. You know, I'm seeing a huge movement now and I've got friends who are at, at the forefront of the movement of spatial computing and how, you know, Web 3.0 is now being designed and, and having an influence on our life. And um, when I was just coming out of school as a chiropractor, as a doctor, you know, I was green and, and you know, ready to change the world. And, and as that was happening, I was in the San Francisco Bay Area, and that's when the dot-com boom was happening. So I saw all these startups getting funded with millions of dollars, and, and I'm like, how can I get be part of this but not change who I am as a health practitioner? Because I just graduated, you know? Like, I'm, like, not going to go back to school to be, learn how to compute, right? So uh, I started my on-site business called Doc Next Door, and we would go in and do um, – chiropractic, massage therapy, and ergonomic retrofitting. Um, and so they, the guys would spend money on me instead of a foosball table, basically. <laughs> and back wow. in the day. Yeah. And this was at the time when Google was just forming, like they didn't really exist yet. Can you, oh, can you imagine like world before Google? <laughs> so, so now fast forward to, you know, 20 years later, and, and I've been a doctor doing really 
intimate and intricate work. And, and I see this renaissance of the same kind of energy, only it's here in the Midwest as well as in the, the coastal regions that are, you know, that like, of course, Silicon Valley is, you know, the head and the leader of all, everything. Um, but this, this movement for augmented reality, UX design for spatial computing. And I want this time to be able to have a voice in the healthcare sector that allows for those technologies to be used for the information that I have. So I've, I've seen this before in a different way. And now I have the, um, not only the insight of watching this happen again, but now I have the skills and knowledge and wisdom to actually contribute to it. So that's where Food Fixer comes from. Wow, okay, and I have two questions for you. So had you always been thinking about like entrepreneurship like through your whole life or was it that first exposure to Silicon Valley? And then what were kind of the first few lessons that you learned with the first uh, company, Doc Next Door? Sure, well, entrepreneurship was, uh, it was my only option, honestly, because uh, I chose a path is one that is not heavily walked. You know, that's one of my favorite quotes by Emerson. Um, you know, be a trailblazer. And oh, I, I don't remember the quote actually. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> I'm totally just brain farted. Just I was trying to say it, but it has to do with the fact that you can, you know, um, be the trailblazer and leave behind open space for other people to come. Basically, something like that. But in in my profession as a chiropractor there weren't any spaces available to me to enter into a corporate infrastructure. You know, like I've had to fight every year of my existence in, in this profession for credibility and for um, sustainability financially, because, you know, if we were just considered this outskirt, like voodoo kind of thing. And people are understanding now that that is a great science, nature and intent to what we do. And we are just as valuable as any other primary healthcare provider. In fact, I have the same rights and privileges as an MD, but our profession had to fight for it, you know? So when I came out of school, I had to just learn how to be an entrepreneur because in my entirety of my youth, I was an elite athlete. So you'd show up and you, you know, you have a very rigorous schedule. You have the same shorts that you have to wear with the rest of the team. You have to show up and, you know, for, at breakfast at a certain time. And then you go up to train that, you know, like it's very regimented. So I had that infrastructure of understanding how to schedule myself and be disciplined um, and, and literally had to learn business along the way because I didn't go to school to get my, you know, degree in business. I went to school to get my degree as a doctor. So then I came out of school and I'm like, oh shit, now what do I do? <laughs> I had to learn. So entrepreneurship just naturally became who and what I am um, because of the, the career path that I chose. Now, the lessons that I learned when I started Doc Next Door um, were everything not to do. <laughs> Those were the biggest lessons that I had because as I just said, I was an athlete and a scientist my whole life you know, and now I was running a business and uh, I was really great with scheduling and, and, um, and patient care. But when it came right down to it, you know, learning about what, um, I think it's Florida that just passed this. I think it's fantastic that they're requiring high school students to, to have 
financial literacy before they leave school. And that's that's the kind of thing that I wish I had had, or, or at least had been a, a double ma um, major in business as I was going through school because um, not knowing how to deal with taxes or what to what to do with an accountant. Like I didn't even, I didn't have a team of that stuff. I just figured it out as I went along. So the biggest lessons for me were, you know, I, I, I had an amazing skill set, and then changing that skill set to being something that was marketable. So I had to learn how to do marketing for myself because I didn't go to school for that either. Right. I mean, you can be the best person in the whole world, but if no one knows you exist, you're not getting paid. And that was my biggest fear. And I lived it for probably about seven years because I had to learn these things as I was going along. So that was kind of the, the tough part of the early part of my career. Um, and now I know that it's okay that if you don't know something, you tell people and then you find the guy that can do what you don't know, because I'm really, really good at what I do. And I'm not going to go and learn coding now. Somebody's really, really good at that, which is why I have my team for Food Fixer. You know, my, my guys can handle the coding and I can handle the other stuff. And, and now you've got a team that's successful instead of trying to bonk your head against the wall and figure it out yourself. So those are my biggest um, lessons in, in early, early parts of my careers is, you know, asking for help, but asking for the right help. Because I come from a background that's that of elite athleticism. You know, I want to train with the Olympic coach not the guy that's teaching the kindergartners how to play softball, right? <laughs> so you need to know how to find the right mentors and you need to know how to ask the right questions too. And that's something that time and wisdom brings you as well. Definitely. Could you talk about a correlation between a successful uh, athlete and a successful uh, business leader, entrepreneur, uh, professional? I, well, I can talk about my experience. You know, every sport is different too. Um, my sport was an individual sport. So it wasn't like I was playing soccer or on a basketball team. Um, mine was rhythmic gymnastics. So you, it's you, your mind, your body, and the equipment in your hands against the judges. So I, since a young age, know what it's like to be judged all the time. <laughs> you know, that's a big difference. And, um, and the team aspect, uh, even while I was on a team, um, we didn't, we didn't compete well, first of all, I was the only one that was the elite level athlete anyway. So there's no one else that could touch me in the state. I was the, I was the only one on the podium. I didn't have, I had a team that I was on, but everybody else was at a lower class range competing than I was. So we had camaraderie and, but we didn't have that, like that camaraderie one would get from being on say a, a team that's like a, a basketball or, or, or soccer team. Right. So a lot of what I learned and how my athletic background ties into how I operate um, as a leader, uh, has come from being more in a state of observation because I can observe my competitive field better than instead of just jumping in and just saying a bunch of stuff and saying, I, we have to do it this way. I, I prefer the approach of inspiring people to be their very best rather than telling them what they're doing wrong to fix. That's a huge difference. And that's something that I learned um, by, by being coached because my coach was there and any coach I've ever had, they're there to help you be your best. That's the whole point. And so that really funnels down into how I treat people and, and the leader perspective that I have. I'll be in the first one, the first one in the door 
last one to leave. I've got that work ethic. I have, you know, always been that way. And I lead by example. One of my favorite phrases is, watch me. When someone says you can't do something, watch me. Wow. That's awesome. Um, in uh, your athletic career, you talked about your exposure to healthy eating. Could you talk about some of the misconceptions people have about healthy eating and a balanced lifestyle? Yeah, there, this is where um, I've been really, my eyes have been open quite a bit, um, just starting this uh, process of, you know, being a founder with the startup and with Food Fixer too. Um, our, our food system and our food chain, like from where it's grown to who picks it up, to who manufactures it, to the suppliers, to the, the distributors you know, and down into finally, you know, retail spaces and then to our plate. That whole system has a lot of spaces that people just don't know are really, really broken. And some of it too comes down to the fact that a lot of the foods that we eat now are still designed from a paradigm that's dying and needs to die, basically. Um, a lot of our food, and the food systems we have in our government systems, even like with the, with the you know, the FDA and the RDA and the USDA, um, they were based on data that was necessary right after the world wars, right? So we started industrial farming. We started industrializing food and where it comes from. And we started making assumptions about diet that were always based on um, like, weight, our BMI, right? Um, but not on sustainability and ingredients. Meaning when you look at a, at a label, right? Most people go directly to looking at how the sodium content, what the protein content is, you know, all, all these things. What we're doing, what makes us different is we're looking at the ingredient list first. Because if it has trans fats, excited toxins, corn, sugar, and GMOs, you're going to get sick. And that's what's been making us get insidiously sick for decades and decades and decades now. We've been having this movement of the, of the, um, the foods that are being produced that some of it isn't even real food. It's just food-like products, right, that are based on um, a really broken governmental system, too, that is making food for profit. Food isn't made to make you healthy, which is such an oxymoron because what's what we need food for is to keep us healthy, but food is produced for profit. And we're missing out on this bridge that goes between the very saturated weight loss and fitness perspective that people have that we've been taught, right? Versus the space what we need to be focused on, which is food is medicine. And that is where I've been finding some really crazy, crazy data too, that even I was like, what, this is happening right now. Um, there's, I didn't realize this, but according to the USDA, only five nutrients need to be listed on a label. And that's, I think, magnesium, calcium, vitamin A, vitamin C, and phosphorus, I think, are the five. And um, I, I could be wrong, look it up, but it's true. There's only five that have to be on a label. And what's just that just blows my mind because legally there's no data anywhere that shows that the other 
thousands of nutrients that our body needs are available for us to understand what they're used for. There's a multi-billion dollar supplement industry that's based on all these different vitamins, right? They're not on labels and they don't have to be. Why? No one is asking these questions and no one's bringing together these links, you know? So I think the biggest question here is what to eat and how? And it's a huge question if you don't have any understanding of science, biochemistry and physiology and nutrition, you know, you're going down a really huge rabbit hole real quick of what nutrients you might or might not need for any kind of thing that you're looking to improve with your health. So I think that's, that's where we really need to start looking with with food is that, and that's why I'm starting food fixer. Yeah, definitely. And if you are looking to improve your health, what advice do you have for people who are getting discouraged by the whole process and, you know, still falling back to some of their older habits? Well, first of all, know that um, a lot of the foods that are processed are designed to keep you addicted. So doing things that work with practitioners like myself that have um, a knowledge base and a coaching system to assist and inspire, get help with it. You know, Um, don't just do this by yourself, but by looking at Dr. Google. Because you're going to go down a, ro- a rabbit hill- hole that on one end of the spectrum, you're going to have this one expert that says, eat tomatoes are the best ever. And then the other end is like, tomatoes are the worst. They're going to make you sick, you know? And, and then as a normal person, you have no idea what you're looking at, right? So if you're discouraged and if you feel like you've been going in circles and not really getting the results that you want, it's time, time to bring in a professional that has an objective viewpoint of this and look for somebody that focus and focuses on food as medicine, you know, somebody in a more natural, naturopathic, osteopathic, chiropractic kind of way. Um, and, and find somebody that's based in science doing that or get my, (laughs) that'll work too. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, So as an athlete, how did healthy eating contribute to your performance? And what were some of the foods and meals that you had that really boosted your, uh, your energy levels? Well, it, it, food was 100% a part of everything that I was able to do, um, from keeping my energy levels up to helping to repair my body after. And that's still true today. You know, when, when I'm um, working out too much or haven't worked out enough and start to try again, because <laughs> you know how that, we cycle, right? Um, it, when I get injured, there's like very specific things I do, or when I'm starting to get too sore, there's very specific things I do that literally when I go to bed at night, I wake up the next day and I feel like Wolverine. I wake up and I feel fine because I know what my body needs at the cellular level to repair. So as an athlete, you know, um, back in the day, you know, we were told to do carb loads, you know, we eat a bunch of spaghetti the night before, if you're doing like long distance running and things like this, there's, which is, there's still some truth to that. Um, but my professional or my, my personal, um, art and craft, you know, rhythmic gymnastics was all about being super flexible, super bendy, and then a lot of eye hand coordination. And, um, so we didn't need to do the carb loading and all that stuff. And, you know, if anything, girls were needed to be really super skinny, and that was another issue in gymnastics where you could, you would see some of the eating disorders starting to pop up. Um, I was blessed with not having to worry about that. Um, I, <laughs> I was always teased for being too skinny, honestly, but I would eat 
every anybody under the table. Like my mother would send me to somebody's house just to have dinner, just so they could sh show that I'm like I eat like crazy. Trust you know. <laughs> um, but when it comes to um, looking at food as an athlete, there's I would say three things that are most important. Um, one, what are you doing to keep your energy up? meaning mental and physical together, right? Um, two, how are you dealing with your workouts? Like what are you eating before and after the workouts? And then three, what are you doing for repair? And that, that third pillar, that one is almost the most, actually, I, I'm not gonna say almost, that one is the most important. How are you treating your body so that you can repair? Because it's the person that can repair the fastest and the, and the most completely, that has access to more potential of their body and will have better athletic output as a result. So how you amplify your body is one part and then how you repair is the other part. And, and those are the most important things to look at. Wow. Which, which one of those do you think is the most overlooked? Uh, I think repair because athletes don't like to just chill the fuck out, <laughs> especially, you know, I mean, just be real when you're, when you're competing at really high levels too, and especially endurance athletes, God, those guys, God forbid they miss one day. Right. But it's that one day in between that is the one that'll give you the six days worth of, of work that your body can take. You know, I mean, it's still a machine and the machine needs to be tuned up. So you have to repair, you have to have recovery. What are some of the uh, key points or key pillars that you do in your recovery days or did? Um, meditation, sleep. I still do. Um, I, and I, and I actually start my day like that anyway. Um, ha having a mindful practice, an actual day-to-day, -day, no holds barred, having to tap in with just the inner self and, and connecting. That is critical for me um the other thing that is really important um is making sure that you're getting the right nutrient balance omega-3 essential fatty acids are critical for me um the other things are a good b complex i have a liquid one that i think is absolutely necessary and then nitric oxide is also really 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 necessary so those are the ones that when when i start to feel like i need a little help I'll, I'll increase those in my, in my diet and, and take my supplements. And then I also have this really awesome stem cell patch. It's called X39 and it's from, um, LifeWave, I believe is the, is the company, but I'll, I'll give you the link to it. But regardless, um, I, you just put up the stem cell patch on and it, and it makes your body's own stem cells activate. So it helps with repair with that too. Wow. Wow. That's fascinating. Uh, so after your athletic career, why did you transition to become uh, a chiropractor? What kind of drew you there? Well, that's actually a really great story. Um, it was a chiropractor that inspired me to do what I do. <laughs> so I was competing in the world championships for water skiing in 1993, um, doing doubles. So it's like kind of like pairs ice skating where you see a guy and a girl doing lifts, right? Well, we would do that on the water behind a boat. So, um, my doubles partner was also, um, he would compete at the bud pro tour doing jumping off the jump. Oh, wow. So he was, he was training, doing that. We were training, doing our stuff together. He was trained for that and he was jumping and he lost his air position sense doing a Mobius, which, which is a full twisting backflip over the, out of the jump. He landed on his neck 
Aaron his head and snapped his neck forward and he couldn't even put his two fingers together to like make the okay sign right it hurt so bad which I now know is the c6 nerve root <laughs> and, and I can fix that but at the time um he was just floating in the water and he couldn't put his fingers together and we were freaking out you know so um we decided to go to the Bud pro tour anyway and at that bread at that tour um there was a new medical tent set up where there was a chiropractor physical therapist and an md and they were working on the athletes so uh we went and got treated and like two weeks later he was fine and, and we had one week to practice still and we we did and at the third week is when we when the competition was and we won the world championships so that showed me i was like wow that was, that was amazing but then it just like went right out my head because <laughs> and then i got hired to work at SeaWorld in san diego and I was sitting there um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do because I was going to go into dentistry and I worked in an office for a day and I just like, I can't do this the rest of my life. This is not what I'm designed for. So my boss at SeaWorld, he, he's also a boss, or the guy that created the Bud Pro Tours. So he told me, he's like, you know, you should go check out this chiropractor. He's in Thousand Oaks, which is close to San Diego. Well, not really, it's closer to LA, but regardless. <laughs> um, he, I, and I just looked at him like chiropractor and I don't know anything about being a chiropractor. He's like, well, you should check him out. I'm like, okay. So I always knew I wanted to do something medical. I knew I didn't want to be an MD because I know that my body, I physically cannot work 72 hours on and five hours off. Like you had to, you know, in the hospital settings, it's just not where my face is. So I didn't want to do that. So I go to see this chiropractor and it turns out it was the same guy. It was the guy that worked on us for the Bud Pro Tour. And I, I looked at him and I'm like, you're the guy. Oh my God, you're the guy. And, and he's like, I'm the guy. You're like, you're the guy. <laughs> and, and, and I worked with him in his office for a day and it felt like I was there for two minutes. And it was, and it was then and there that I knew that uh, this was my, my past. And, you know, I've seen or had half the injuries out there at this point between gymnastics and water skiing. Both of them are very high risk injury sports. And a lot of my colleagues and teammates, you know, would get surgery and have knee surgery or, you know, something that they would have to do. And their career would just be done for so you know that's a lot different now in medicine is has improved quite a bit obviously but at the time i'm like i didn't want to go down that path you know so finding this outlet that is evidence-based it's been around for over 100 plus years um, it, we're having a giant impact on people's health and keeping them in this space where, where they can recover quickly and, and actually have function again yeah that's why I chose to stay. So that's what got me to becoming a chiropractor. And that's how my athletic background brought me there. Wow. So how, how do you think all these past experiences have culminated into your ability to run Food Fixer and grow it? Well, I think it's all just a natural progression. Honestly, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? And what I'm looking at right now is I feel like I'm looking through twenty twenty lenses. And I don't mean the year. <laughs> Actually having, you know, excellent vision. Because... I can, I can literally see the unfoldment of everything that I've done so far, giving me the excellence in these really specific areas to be able to bring together the, the information that I have to offer to people. Now I can see it. I can see all of it. And I know that I've been using this information on a consistent basis in my clinic with patients and I've changed lives over and over and over and over again. The confidence I have with that is because this gift is real. This data is real. And what we're doing in our system now isn't working. If it was working, obesity wouldn't be rising. 
If it was working, we wouldn't have somebody dying every 36 seconds from a cardiovascular event. This isn't just a disease crisis. This is a food knowledge crisis. And I know I'm designed to be the person to tell this story because I've, I've seen it happen in my own life. I've seen it improve other people's lives. And I've seen that everything I've learned and remembered since being a young adult and a teenager, it still applies now. So that's why the story is so important. And that's why this company is important. Wow. What are your uh, goals for Food Fixer in the next year? In the next year, I would like to get the build out to, to be finished. You know, we need to get our MVP out there. Um, we need to start getting metrics and seeing how things are going in the market and, and um, meaning like operationally how we can be as efficient as possible. I know the market is wide open for us to, to tackle and, and to have a really positive impact. And I'm looking forward to that. Um, so the, over the first six months, it's going to be a lot of, of, of tech creation. And by, I would say about the eight to 10 month mark, we're looking at being able to start generating revenue because um, what we're doing is you give us your condition, like say you just survived a heart attack or you're surviving cancer or you have endometriosis or whatever the case may be. Um, you tell us your condition, we will give you a grocery store list of the exact foods that have the highest densest nutrients to support the areas that are most depleted in you. And that's based on 3 million studies in scientific right now. We're taking out, out the data to give you the right amount of, of nutrients to help support your body. And then we give you the actual food that has those nutrients in it. So that's your grocery store list. So once you get the grocery store list, then how we start generating revenue is that it's kind of like the, an Instacart model. You know, you choose whatever grocery store is close to you. That'll be part of the system. You can buy your groceries through the, through the, through the app. Um, then after that, um, so that'll be the first year that'll take, that'll take us the first year. Sure. It's a lot of data. It's a lot. And then, um, after that, we're looking to expand into a subscription model where you can get actual meal planning and recipes with the foods that you get. Cause I am adamant absolutely adamant about democratizing this information. And no matter who you are or where you are, you should be able to get the grocery store list and how we can get you the right foods. That'll be the next step, you know? Um, but in the meantime, the grocery store list will always be free for anyone all the time. And then what you do with it, you know, the actual recipes and meal design that then we can start, you know, having subscriptions for that. Um, and that we hope to scale out you know, starting in, in about, you know, month 12 to 12 to 18, I'm guessing. Wow. Month, what month would it be for you now currently? Currently we are at um, zero, month zero. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, and and I, I don't mean it like we have nothing done. Uh, we're actually quite far along. We have a, um, an amazing infrastructure, an amazing team. I've got my legal team set. I've got my financial team set. You know, I've got my term sheets and the safe notes and, and everything I need to um, have an investor come on and, and give us what we need so that we can focus and make this thing come to life. So uh, basically where we're at right now is as far as we can get without having funding honestly. So uh, we've raised about 15,000 so far, and that's mostly gone to creating the infrastructure and the platform legally, right? So I'm now ready to be able to receive a million dollars or more, um, but we're in seed round funding. So 
we need to get that capital so that I can just pay my guys. That's what it's coming down to. I need to pay my guys. Wow. What are you looking for in the seed round? Minimum 220,000. Um, sweet zone would be about, you know, 450 to 750,000. Cause that would actually give us the ability to do even more with, with marketing and, um, and outreach and other programs that we want to do too. Uh, but minimum that 220 225 so that we can actually build the sucker out. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So how do you plan to grow the user base? Cause that's always one problem that startups get, uh, have problems yeah. with. Well, we want to, we want to make this something that, um, you know, that I learned when I was doing the, um, the national science foundation, i program, their, their whole program is, is based on, on customer discovery and where you can fit into the market in the best way that's most successful. Uh, and if you even have a product that is something that the market needs, right? So um, that was a really huge experience, uh, learning curve experience for me. That was amazing. And um, my initial thoughts of, of how to get this out and how, how that pivoted and evolved into something else was really profound for me with them in that I'm looking to have a customer base that, you know, one customer has thousands of end users. Right. So a really great place that we can start to penetrate the market is the insurance world. InsureTech is a thing now. It's <laughs> the insurance companies are actually looking for ways to have proactive measures so that they don't have to pay for the big stuff, heart surgery and cancer meds. Right. Which is ironic because I spent my life fighting against insurance companies because I do proactive work and they want to pay me for it. So I, I had this like real like eating humble pie moment. Cause I was like, no way I'm not using it as a doctor, you know? And then I look at it I'm like, Oh, good God. Okay. I can have an impact in a positive way with the insurance companies. So, um, that's, that's one of the things that I want to do is, and that we're, we're, we're actually looking at is, um, it is making an alliance with some of the major insurance companies and providing a service that allows for proactive care. So when you have, you know, like you, you, there's a lot of companies now, like it, when you um, use their, their wellness plans, you know, they, they track steps, they track your, um, your blood markers, they track your, um, your fitness and, and your, you know, your, um, your mindful activities, right? Well, so far they're not tracking food. You can't be fit if you're doing just the body stuff, you have to have body and nutrients, right? So, and I don't mean nutrients by looking at, you know, um, if you're eating or not, <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally, are you getting the things that are serving your body rather than breaking it down? And, and so I think that's a really, a really excellent space for us to start is, is there. Definitely. Um, kind of going bigger picture now, uh, what was the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Hmm. Find your niche and don't be afraid to be in it. That was actually Dr. Terry Wyman, who's, who's the guy that was the chiropractor that inspired me to get into this, this business. Um, and that he was the first one to say that, but how I, um, came at, came to peace with that and really began to own it was through teachings and learnings that I got through Agape International and Dr. Michael Beckwith, um, finding your niche means also, finding that space in you that is that voice that no one else has because it's your and learning how to use that voice from the source it comes from 
you know, that took a lot of work, getting, you know, breaking down ego, taking away all of the stuff that you think has happened to you or has happened to you in your life. And, and looking at that central core place of silence and hearing that voice and knowing that that is your truth. So that is your niche. So go walk in it. That's the best advice that I've gotten. Wow. That's awesome. And then my final question for you, what is your favorite food right now and why? <laughs> oh, this one is so hard because it's like, I'm a foodie. I love, love, love food, but I'm, I'm such, I'm like, I'm, I am uncompromised when it comes to quality. So, um, I love a grass fed steak. It's one of my favorite things steak and eggs in the morning like that. But it's like, I go pick the, I get the eggs from the chicken right away, you know? Um, but I also am very plant-based oriented too. So I love making my juices. I had, I actually owned a juice bar for a short period of time as well. And juicing to me is just absolute joy. I love having the, the really nice, like uh, ginger in particular. I just love, love juicing with that. So, um, and then, and then I love my, countries you know like real food from italy like from the actual it, like that was grown on their earth there it tastes completely different because they have different mineral content and different soil so uh, so if it's from france it's from italy or if it's like straight from the farm uh that's just joy for me and you know being able to go pick a strawberry and just eat it right from the earth like come on so that i have to say like food to me is just be it's, it's everything. It's diversity. I, I love just having that diversity, but I love having it in the way that I learned as a kid that they told us at the Olympic training center, if God didn't make it, don't eat it. So that's my favorite food. The stuff that I know I can get, that's just like straight from the earth and is as, and the animals have only seen one bad day. Then they have lived as, as great as they possibly can eating grass and running around and playing with each other. And then they just had that one bad day, <laughs> you know? So that, that would be my favorite food. I know that's not as specific as you, maybe you would like to hear, but um, I can't be specific because I just love all that. That's all awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Well, hey, I just want to thank you again for coming on today. I think this is really valuable and a lot of people can learn from this. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for some really insightful questions. It was, it was a great time.